Well, Easter greetings to each and every one of you. And as we prepare to read our lesson today, we are going to ask for God's illuminating grace. And, and we're going to read our lesson in multiple voices, so I invite the pastors to come at this time. So let us pray. Holy God, we so often long for more. We want more than the hamster wheel life to, of to-do lists and errands, meal prep and alarm clocks. We want more than comparison and competition. We want more than certainty that drowns out curiosity. We want more than fear that leads to violence. We want a life that is teeming with hallelujahs. We want a life overcrowded with hope. We want a life congested with good news. We want a life jam-packed with forgiveness. We want a life bursting with laughter. We want a life so full that the stone just has to be rolled away. So today we pray, break the dam, dust the cobwebs from our ears, clear space in our minds to hear you clearly. Speak to us as only you can do. It's what we long for. We long for you. Gratefully, we pray. Amen. My friends, our lesson on this Resurrection Sunday comes from the Gospel of Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 1. For on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified and on the third day rise again. Then they remembered his words and returned from the tomb. They told all this to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to be them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves. Then he went home, amazed at what had happened. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Thank you, pastors. Do you know what happened 50 years ago today on April the 17th, 1972? No, it wasn't Easter Sunday. Easter Sunday that year was on April the 2nd. 
April the 17th, 1972 was the day that the Boston Marathon allowed women to compete for the very first time. Nina Cusick emerged from the field to win the women's race and all eight of the female runners completed the 26.2 mile course. For 75 years, the Boston Marathon didn't have a place for women. They were unestimated, they were ignored, they were shut out. One running coach believed that the distance was just too much for what he called fragile women. But then Roberta Gibb became the first woman to run the Boston Marathon in 1966. She couldn't get an official race number, so she hid in the bushes and, and jumped into the race when it started. In 1967, Catherine Schweitzer registered as K.V. Schweitzer, not identifying herself as a woman. When she began to race, race officials tried to remove her from the marathon. They grabbed at her and they tried to rip off her bib number. Her boyfriend shoved the, the man that was trying to do that to the ground, and she finished the race in four hours and 20 minutes. Only when the Amateur Athletics Union accepted women into long-distance running did Boston open the race to women. And now women are running in the Boston Marathon each and every year, including tomorrow morning, as well as, of course, many other marathons around the world. And nearly a half of the 30,000 runners tomorrow will be women and they will finish at the same rate as men. Like 1972 was a turning point for female marathoners, Easter morning was a turning point in a moment of truth for the followers of Jesus Christ. Jesus had on multiple occasions before his death on Calvary's cross told his disciples that he would be killed but would rise again. They, you would think that his disciples would have been prepared for that very first Easter morning to welcome him back from the grave. But clearly, they were not. Forgotten at least momentarily was his promise that on the third day, he would rise again. The Apostle Paul would later write in his letter to the Corinthians that Jesus had conquered the final enemy, the enemy of death. But it's clear that this was not the expectation of his friends and his disciples on the very first Easter morning. Their hearts were still heavy with grief. They had forgotten Jesus' promise that on the third day he would come back to them. All they knew was their Lord was dead and with him their hopes and their dreams and their aspirations. And overwhelmed with this sense of loss, they thought that the story of Jesus had come to a disastrous end. Of course, if that had been true, you and I wouldn't be here now. According to Luke's account of the resurrection, a group of women made their way to the tomb 
early that Easter morning to properly prepare Jesus' body with spices according to the custom. Because there had not been time to properly prepare his body after it had been taken down from the cross on Friday, the women had waited through the Sabbath to go once again to Jesus' tomb and and to bury him properly. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they go, that is, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, um, and Mary, the mother of James, and other women, they go, they go to the tomb with spices to tend to Jesus' body. It was certainly an act of faith for them to go. Some of the disciples had, had already headed back home to Emmaus and to other places. They had given up. But in the light of a new day, there are surprises in store. Three surprises. First, the women were surprised to find the stone rolled away from the tomb. The tomb is not closed, it's it's open. And when they go in, they're surprised that they don't find Jesus' body there. And when they're trying to contemplate this, the third surprise arrives. Two men in dazzling white and dazzling clothes appear to them along with a message they bring. And like everyone in Scripture who sees even one angel, the women are terrified and they bow down to the ground. It seems that no one can stand on their feet in front of an angel. And the angels say to the women, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified in the third day, rise again. It's both a a correction, and an announcement. They are looking in the wrong place. No one goes to find a living person in a graveyard. He is not here, but has risen. This is not at all what the women had expected. The reason that they aren't expecting it is because They don't remember Jesus' teaching. He had told them in Galilee, as the angels had said, that several times he had told them that that through after his earthly life, that he must suffer and die, and then in three days he would rise again. They should have been waiting those three days in anticipation, not in mourning. But they forgot the gospel, and their forgetting takes them to the tomb. It's not only that they, it's not until they remember Jesus' teaching about the empty tomb that their lives are changed. Nothing could be more important in the Christian life than in remembering the gospel. One of the great challenges as Christians 
is to keeping the truth of our Lord uppermost and foremost in our minds. It seems though we are weak, we forget, we wander, we stray. But if we keep our feet in the path of his teaching, then we will never be overcome in times of of trouble and sorrow. We will be the only people rejoicing even in the face of death if we keep our minds fixed on the gospel. And then, and then the women remember. And as they remember, they are compelled to take the surprise, this report back to the eleven and all the rest of the disciples in Jerusalem. Mary Magdalene, Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, were chief among the women, not only there that day at the tomb, but they were chief among the women. Luke tells us that earlier in his his gospel that they were some of the women who financially supported Jesus' ministry. They had traveled with our Lord. They were dedicated to him. They were known and they were respected. But when they go and they share the message about the two angels with the apostles and the message of the two angels with the other disciples, they, those disciples, those apostles, they do not believe them. The apostles and the disciples act like male chauvinists towards the women, don't they? And this is not being me being just harsh on them. This is the testimony of history. They nearly miss the greatest story ever told, the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. With a desperation and a longing, Peter runs, looking for another memory with his Lord to replace the last memory, the last memory of his cowardice and failure when he had denied Jesus three times just days before. And when Peter reaches the tomb, what does he find? Linen cloths by themselves. This would have been strange if some grave robbers had taken the body of Jesus as a hoax or to ridicule the disciples. But because of those linen cloths by themselves, Peter went home amazed, amazed at what had happened. Even in utter shock, first the women returned to their deepest knowing. They allow themselves to receive the expansiveness of the resurrection. Their imaginations and their hearts expand and they take action. In contrast, many of Jesus' disciples won't open themselves to this expansiveness. And it's not that they weren't particularly open to the surprise. They just outright reject it. Yet Peter is curious enough to return to the tomb. He runs towards it. 
And as a result, he's filled with amazement and awe. God's love is wide and deep and messy. God's love spills out. It overflows like water. It reaches out and it rushes by and tries to touch everything in its path. God's love seeks to claim you and to me and to baptize us in a new way of living, an expansive life. In her poem, Sometimes, Mary Oliver includes three instructions for what she says is living a life. Her first instruction is pay attention. Pay attention. Her second is to be astonished. And third, she writes, tell about it. Pay attention, be astonished, tell about it. She isn't, but you might be thinking that she's writing about our lesson today. She's, though, isn't this what the the whole message of Scripture is about? Pay attention, be astonished, and tell about it. The life that God is calling us to, an expansive life, you see, it begins with love, and it lets our lives be led by love's promises as we live fully. And as we pursue justice and hope and express grief and and gratitude. So let us pursue the things of eternity as God gives us grace. So let us pay attention and trust fully that we belong to God. You and I, we belong to God. We are God's beloved. We are God's resurrected people, you and I. We're loved and we're claimed by the Jesus Christ in his life and in his death and in his resurrection. And then let's also be surprised, astonished and astounded as we find that by God's great grace, grace that is undeserved, unearned, illogical and boundless, that you and I can increase our capacity to not only to receive grace, but offer God's grace to others. You see, such grace and such love transforms us. And with lives transformed, we're able to live expansively, full to the brim. And we want to tell others about it. Even in despair or confusion, we can discover the life that God has for us in Jesus Christ. As Jesus comes again and again and over and over to raise us up. Because we belong to God, there is much more to life than in this life than that we're called to live than just amassing things. And even in the midst of struggle and oppressive forces and hardship and grief, we have a resurrected Savior who loves us unconditionally and keeps raising us above the challenges, not taking us out of the challenges, but helping us 
be victorious through the challenges of life. Of course, our name, our Savior's name is Jesus. And he rose from the grave on the third day. And he is alive forevermore. And he is always with us. Because you see, as Pastor Gian so helped us to see in the children's message, each of you and all the world matter to God. In Jesus Christ, God is calling us to be washed, to be washed in the refreshing waters of God's love and grace and to find the abundant and expansive life and the victory that is waiting for us in Jesus Christ that empowers us to carry the promise of new life in Jesus with us wherever we go and to share it and to share it with others. Easter is a celebration of victory. Jesus has overcome the grave, our final enemy. It has to be shared. The women knew this truth. Easter is an invitation to be surprised and astounded and to be open to the blessing that God has in store for me and for you. Easter is an invitation to be filled to the brim with God's lavish love. Easter is an invitation to live a full, radically full, and expansive life because, because the Lord is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.